Well, welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded. I'm your host, Irv Risch. And as we move forward, we're going to be going through the entire New Testament. Uh, and with that, we're going to do a commentary afterwards. And uh, with that said, let us just move on to our next section. And thank you for joining me. Chapter 10 And he called to him his twelve disciples, and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers. Cast out demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents, and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, 
how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Matthew chapter 10 The twelve disciples called, 10 verses 1 to 4. 10 verse 1 In the last verse of chapter 9, the Lord instructed His disciples to pray for more laborers. To make that request sincerely, believers must be willing to go themselves. So here we find the Lord calling His twelve disciples. He had previously chosen them, but now He calls them to a special evangelistic mission to the nation of Israel. With the call went authority to cast out unclean spirits and to heal all kinds of diseases. The uniqueness of Jesus is seen here. Other men had performed miracles, but no other man ever conferred the power on others. 10 verses 2 to 4 The twelve apostles were 1. Simon, who is called Peter. Impetuous, generous hearted, affectionate man that he was, he was a born leader. 2. Andrew, his brother. He was introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist, John 1 verses 36 and 40, then brought his brother Peter to him. He made it his business thereafter to bring men to Jesus. 3. James, the son of Zebedee, who was later killed by Herod, Acts 12 verse 2, the first of the twelve to die as a martyr. 4. John, his brother. Also a son of Zebedee, he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. We are indebted to him for the fourth gospel, three epistles, and revelation. 5. Philip. A citizen of Bethsaida, he brought Nathanael to Jesus. 
he is not to be confused with Philip the Evangelist in the Book of Acts. 6. Bartholomew. Believed to be the same as Nathanael, the Israelite in whom Jesus found no guile, John 1 verse 47. 7. Thomas, also called Didymus, meaning twin. Commonly known as Doubting Thomas, his doubts gave way to a magnificent confession of Christ, John 20 verse 28. 8. Matthew. The former tax collector who wrote this gospel. 9. James, the son of Alphaeus. Little else is definitely known about him. 10. Labias, whose surname was Thaddeus. He is also known as Judas the son of James, Luke 6 verse 16. His only recorded utterance is found in John 14 verse 22. 11. Simon, the Canaanite, whom Luke calls the Zealot, 6 verse 15. 12. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer of our Lord. The disciples were probably in their twenties at this time. Taken from varied walks of life and probably young men of average ability, their true greatness lay in their association with Jesus. See the Mission to Israel, 10 verses 5 to 33. 10 verses 5 and 6 The remainder of the chapter contains Jesus' instructions concerning a special preaching tour to the house of Israel. This is not to be confused with the later sending of the 70, Luke 10 verse 1, or with the Great Commission, Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20. This was a temporary mission with the specific purpose of announcing that the kingdom of heaven was near. While some of the principles are of lasting value for God's people in all ages, the fact that some were later revoked by the Lord Jesus proves they were not intended to be permanent, Luke 22 verses 35 and 36. First, the root is given. They were not to go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans, a mixed race detested by the Jews. Their ministry was limited at this time to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 10 verse 7 The message was the proclamation that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. If Israel refused, there would be no excuse because an official announcement was to be made exclusively to them. The kingdom had drawn near in the person of the king. Israel must decide whether to accept or reject him. 10 verse 8 The disciples were given credentials to confirm their message. They were to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead 16 and cast out demons. The Jews demanded signs, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 22, so God graciously condescended to give them signs. As to remuneration, the Lord's representatives were to make no charge for their services. They had received their blessings without cost and were to dispense them on the same basis. 10 verses 9 and 10 They would not be required to make advance provision for the journey. After all, they were Israelites preaching to Israelites, and it was a recognized principle among the Jews that the laborer deserves his food. So it would not be necessary for them to take gold, silver, copper, food bag, two tunics, sandals, or staffs. Probably the meaning is extra sandals or an extra staff, if they already had a staff, they were permitted to take it, Mark 6 verse 8. The idea is that their needs would be supplied on a day-by-day -day basis. 10 verse 11 What arrangements were they to make for housing? When they entered a city, they were to look for a worthy host, one who would receive them as disciples of the Lord and who would be open to their message. Once they found such a host, they were to stay with him as long as they were in the city, rather than moving if they found more favorable living conditions. 10 verses 12 to 14 If a household received them, the disciples were to greet the family, showing courtesy and gratitude in accepting such hospitality. If, on the other hand, a house refused to host the Lord's messengers, 
they were not obligated to pray for God's peace on it, that is, they would not pronounce a benediction on the family. Not only so, they were to dramatize God's displeasure by shaking the dust off their feet. In rejecting Christ's disciples, a family was rejecting him. 10 verse 15 He warned that such rejection would bring severer punishment in the day of judgment than the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. This proves that there will be degrees of punishment in hell, otherwise how could it be more tolerable for some than for others? 10 verse 16 In this section Jesus counsels the twelve concerning their behavior in the face of persecution. They would be like sheep in the midst of wolves, surrounded by vicious men bent on destroying them. They should be wise as serpents, avoiding giving needless offense or being tricked into compromising situations. And they should be harmless as doves, protected by the armor of a righteous character and faith unfeigned. 10 verse 17 They should be on guard against unbelieving Jews who would hail them into criminal courts and flog them in their synagogues. The attack against them would be both civil and religious. 10 verse 18 They would be dragged before governors and kings for Christ's sake. But God's cause would triumph over man's evil. Man has his wickedness, but God has his way. In their hour of seeming defeat the disciples would have the incomparable privilege of testifying before rulers and Gentiles. God would be working all things together for good. Christianity has suffered much from civil authorities, yet no doctrine was ever so helpful to those appointed to govern. 10 verses 19 and 20 They need not rehearse what they would say when on trial. When the time came, the Spirit of God would give them divine wisdom to answer in such a way as to glorify Christ and utterly confuse and frustrate their accusers. Two extremes should be avoided in interpreting verse 19. The first is the naive assumption that a Christian never needs to prepare a message in advance. The second is the view that the verse has no relevance for us today. It is proper and desirable for a preacher to prayerfully wait before God for the appropriate word for a specific occasion. But it is also true that in crises, all believers can claim God's promise to give them wisdom to speak with divine intuition. They become mouthpieces for the spirit of their Father. 10 verse 21 Jesus forewarned his disciples that they would have to face treachery and betrayal. Brother would accuse brother. Father would betray his child. Children would become informers against their parents, resulting in the execution of the parents. J. C. Macaulay put it well. We are in good company in enduring the world's hatred. The servant may not expect better treatment at the hands of the enemy than the Lord himself received. If the world had nothing better than a cross for Jesus, it will not have a royal carriage for his followers, if only thorns for him, there will not be garlands for us. Only let us see that the world's hatred of us is really for Christ's sake, and not on account of anything hateful in us and unworthy of the gracious Lord whom we represent. 10 verses 22 and 23 The disciples would be hated by all, not by all without exception, but by all cultures, nationalities, classes, etc., of men. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Taken by itself, this could seem to imply that salvation can be earned by steadfast endurance. We know it cannot mean this because throughout the scriptures salvation is presented as a free gift of God's grace through faith, Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Neither can the verse mean that those who remain faithful to Christ will be saved from physical death, the previous verse predicts the death of some faithful disciples. The simplest explanation is that endurance is the hallmark of the genuinely saved. Those who endure to the end in times of persecution show by their perseverance that they are true believers.
This same statement is found in Matthew 24 verse 13 where it refers to a faithful remnant of Jews during the tribulation who refused to compromise their loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Their endurance manifests them as genuine disciples. In Bible passages dealing with the future, the Spirit of God often shifts from the immediate future to the distant future. A prophecy may have a partial and immediate significance and also a complete and more distant fulfillment. For instance, the two advents of Christ may be merged in a single passage without explanation, Isaiah 52 verses 14 and 15, Micah 5 verses 2 to 4. In verses 22 and 23 the Lord Jesus makes this kind of prophetic transition. He warns the twelve disciples of the sufferings they will undergo for his sake, then he seems to see them as a type of his devoted Jewish followers during the Great Tribulation. He leaps forward from the trials of the first Christians to those of believers prior to his second advent. The first part of verse 23 could refer to the twelve disciples, but when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. They were not obligated to remain under the tyranny of their enemies if there was an honorable way to escape. It is not wrong to escape from danger only from duty. The latter part of verse 23 carries us forward to the days preceding Christ's coming to reign, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This could not refer to the mission of the twelve, because the Son of Man had already come. Some Bible teachers understand this as a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. However, it is difficult to see how this holocaust can be spoken of as the coming of the Son of Man. It seems far more plausible to find here a reference to his second coming. During the Great Tribulation, Christ's faithful Jewish brethren will go forth with the gospel of the kingdom. They will be persecuted and pursued. Before they can reach all the cities of Israel, the Lord Jesus will return to judge his foes and set up his kingdom. There might seem to be a contradiction between verse 23 and Matthew 24 verse 14. Here it is stated that not all the cities of Israel will be reached before the Son of Man comes. There it says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world before his second advent. However, there is no contradiction. The gospel will be preached in all nations though not necessarily to every individual. But this message will meet stiff resistance, and the messengers will be severely persecuted and hindered in Israel. Thus, not all the cities of Israel will be reached. 10 verses 24 and 25 The disciples of the Lord would often have occasion to wonder why they should have to endure ill treatment. If Jesus was the Messiah, why were his followers suffering instead of reigning? In verses 24 and 25, he anticipates their perplexity and answers it by reminding them of their relationship to him. They were the disciples, he was their teacher. They were servants, he was their master. They were members of the household, he was the master of the house. Discipleship means following the teacher, not being superior to him. The servant should not expect to be treated better than his master. If men call the worthy master of the house Beelzebub, Lord of Flies, an Ekronite god whose name was used by Jews for Satan, they will hurl even greater insults at the members of his household. Discipleship involves sharing the master's rejection. 10 verses 26 and 27 Three times the Lord told his followers not to fear, verses 26, 28, 31. First, they should not fear the seeming victory of their foes, his cause would be gloriously vindicated in a coming day. Up to now the gospel had been relatively covered and his teachings had been comparatively hidden. 
But soon the disciples must boldly proclaim the Christian message which up to this point had been told them in secret, that is privately. 10 verse 28 Second, the disciples should not fear the murderous rage of men. The worst that men can do is kill the body. Physical death is not the supreme tragedy for the Christian. To die is to be with Christ and thus far better. It is deliverance from sin, sorrow, sickness, suffering, and death, and it is translation into eternal glory. So the worst men can do is, in a real sense, the best thing that can happen to the child of God. The disciples should not fear men but should have a reverential fear of him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the greatest loss eternal separation from God, from Christ, and from hope. Spiritual death is the loss that cannot be measured and the doom that should be avoided at all cost. The words of Jesus in verse 28 evoke memories of the saintly John Knox, whose epitaph reads, Here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. 10 verse 29 In the midst of fiery trials, the disciples could be confident of God's care. The Lord Jesus teaches this from the ubiquitous sparrow. Two of these insignificant birds were sold for a copper coin. Yet not one of them dies outside the Father's will, without his knowledge or his presence. As someone has said, God attends the funeral of every sparrow. 10 verse 30 and 31 The same God who takes a personal interest in the tiny sparrow keeps an accurate count of the hairs of the head of each of his children. A strand of hair is of considerably less value than a sparrow. This shows that his people are of more value to him than many sparrows, so why should they fear? 10 verse 32 In view of the foregoing considerations, what is more reasonable than that the disciples of Christ should fearlessly confess him before men? Any shame or reproach they might bear will be abundantly rewarded in heaven when the Lord Jesus confesses them before his Father. Confession of Christ here involves commitment to him as Lord and Savior and the resulting acknowledgement of him by life and by lips. In the case of most of the twelve, this led to the ultimate confession of the Lord in martyrdom. 10 verse 33 Denial of Christ on earth will be repaid with denial before God in heaven. To deny Christ in this sense means to refuse to recognize his claims over one's life. Those whose lives say, in effect, I never knew you will hear him say at last, I never knew you. The Lord is not referring to a temporary denial of him under pressure, as in Peter's case, but to that kind of denial that is habitual and final. D not peace, but a sword, 10 verse 34 to 39. 10 verse 34 Our Lord's words must be understood as a figure of speech in which the visible results of His coming are stated as the apparent purpose of His coming. He says He did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Actually He did come to make peace, Ephesians 2 verses 14 to 17, He came that the world might be saved through Him, John 3 verse 17. 10 verses 35 to 37 But the point here is that whenever individuals became His followers, their families would turn against them. A converted father would be opposed by his unbelieving son, a Christian mother by her unsaved daughter. A born-again mother-in-law would be hated by her unregenerate daughter-in-law. So a choice must often be made between Christ and family. No ties of nature can be allowed to deflect a disciple from utter allegiance to the Lord. The Savior must take precedence over father, mother, son, or daughter. One of the costs of discipleship is to experience tension, strife, and alienation from one's own family. This hostility is often more bitter than is encountered in other areas of life. 10 verse 38 But there is something even more apt to rob Christ of his rightful place than family, that is, the love of one's own life.
So Jesus added, And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. The cross, of course, was a means of execution. To take the cross and follow Christ means to live in such devoted abandonment to him that even death itself is not too high a price to pay. Not all disciples are required to lay down their lives for the Lord, but all are called on to value him so highly that they do not count their lives precious to themselves. 10 verse 39 Love of Christ must overmaster the instinct of self-preservation. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. The temptation is to hug one's life by trying to avoid the pain and loss of a life of total commitment. But this is the greatest waste of a life, to spend it in the gratification of self. The greatest use of a life is to spend it in the service of Christ. The person who loses his life and devotedness to him will find it in its true fullness. E. A Cup of Cold Water, 10 verses 40-42 1040 Not everyone would refuse the disciples' message. Some would recognize them as representatives of the Messiah and receive them graciously. The disciples would have limited ability to reward such kindness, but they need not fret, anything done for them would be reckoned as being done for the Lord himself and would be rewarded accordingly. To receive Christ's disciple would be tantamount to receiving Christ himself, and to receive him was the same as receiving the Father who sent him, since the one sent represents the sender. To receive an ambassador who stands in the place of the government that commissions him is to enjoy diplomatic relations with his country. 10 verse 41 Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. A. T. Pearson comments. The Jews regarded the reward of the prophet as the greatest, because, while kings bore rule in the name of the Lord, and priests ministered in the name of the Lord, the prophet came from the Lord to instruct both priest and king. Christ says that if you do no more than receive a prophet in the capacity of prophet, the same reward that is given to the prophet will be given to you, if you help the prophet along. Think of that if you are inclined to criticize a speaker. If you help him to speak for God, and encourage him you will get part of his reward, but if you make it difficult for him to discharge his office, you will lose your reward. It is a great thing to help a man who is seeking to do good. You should not regard his dress, his attitude, his manners, or his voice, but you should look beyond these things and say, Is this message of God for me? Is this man a prophet of God to my soul? If he is, receive him, magnify his word and work, and get part of his reward. The one who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. Those who judge others by physical attractiveness or material affluence fail to realize that true moral worth is often cloaked in very humble guise. The way a man treats the most homespun disciple is the way he treats the Lord himself. 10 verse 42 No kindness shown to a follower of Jesus will go unnoticed. Even a cup of cold water will be grandly rewarded if it is given to a disciple because he is a follower of the Lord. Thus the Lord closes his special charge to the twelve by investing them with regal dignity. It is true that they would be opposed, rejected, arrested, tried, imprisoned, and perhaps even killed. But let them never forget that they were representatives of the king and that their glorious privilege was to speak and act for him. Well, this ends another one of our podcasts. And until uh, next time, just remember, God is out here. And you can find out all about him in your Bibles. All you have to do is pick it up and read it. 
I have mine right here. And uh, God is in this Bible, so please read it. With that said, bye for now. Till next time.